1: The hymn writer sings, contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. We'll discuss the truth of this subject next, here on Truth For Today, with Pastor Phil Howard. The birth of Jesus, the incarnation, and as I mentioned a moment ago, God contracting Himself to a span and incomprehensibly being made man. The all-time question, why? Well, why does God become man? What's the benefit to Him? Is there a benefit for you and I? Well, these are questions we answer today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Phil with today's broadcast of Truth For for today.
0: A marvelous thing when you study the genealogies. In the family of uh, Joseph, there was a curse on his family tree in the days of Jeconiah or Coniah, Jehoiakim. In those days, he said in the prophet Jeremiah, there will never be a descendant of yours that was set on the throne of David. So here you've got the father of Jesus, the adopted father. Uh, no heir can come to the throne through his side of the family tree. But guess what? Mary is related to David. And you just track her all the way back. So the physical right of Jesus Christ to the throne comes through his mother, Mary. And the legal side, he had a father that adopted him, but his legal rights was, came from God the Father, the one who gave the promise to David, I'll give you a descendant out of your humanity that will set on your throne. Remarkable. That's why Mary's genealogy, when you read the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, they're two different genealogies of two different sides of the family. Why did he come? Look at Hebrews 2. Let's just begin to lift some arguments for him coming right out of Hebrews 2. Hebrews is showing that Christ is superior to angels, superior to the Old Testament priests, showing the superiority of Christ. And watch what he says that God would even be mindful of man. He begins to say in verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I must say to you, the death of Christ would do you no good unless you believe and repent. It's a death that has no benefits for you unless you repent and believe. It's sufficient for all, but it's only efficient to those who believe. You must believe for it to give you any benefits. You can't say, well, but Jesus died for me, so it doesn't matter what I do. It is without any benefit unless you repent and believe. Sufficient for you, sufficient for a million worlds, but efficient only to those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You must know that. But here he says he tastes death. For every man, one of the reasons he came was to uh, die and provide a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Christ, the great substitute. You see, you can't nail a spirit to a cross. You can't nail an angel to a cross. you got to have a body. And so God the Son and the Father knew that the only way he could stay on a cross was to have a real body and so they provided the son a real body that he could die on a real cross and shed real blood because he tasted death in order that he might deliver us from it. It's a marvelous, marvelous thing. It's beyond me. I, uh, pardon me, I don't have a vocabulary. I don't have enough theology to plumb the depths of what I'm trying to say. That God uh, knew his son had to take a form in which he could die. So the body was designed to feel pain. Did he feel the nails? Yes, he did. Did he know he would die? He came to die. What was he trying to do? He was trying to show the grace of God towards his enemies. He wanted to be gracious to a race that had voted him out of everything. And he shows up, and instead of throwing javelins of fire and speaking words that would consume, he says, come and touch God. I'm just willing to die. I'm dying to talk to you. And that's literally what he did. Uh, Look what he says in verse 10. He says that in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 5, 9 said he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Uh, He came uh, to perfect. The author of our salvation was perfected by suffering. Christ's sufferings were real. The rejection was real. Guess what? You know what they called Jesus? How would you like this to be your name? Man of sorrow acquainted with grief. You know, Christianity makes you happy. That's okay. But it's not this kind of stuff. You can have joy... And your face not even catch up with it. It just be joy in the will of God. I do believe it will affect your face eventually. And we thank God for every one of you it's affected. Some it hasn't. You're just sour all the time. The fruit of the Spirit never gets through that scowl. And that's too bad. But without being artificial or superficial, God the Son was known as man of sorrow. He knew a lot about sorrow, acquainted with grief. But through the things he suffered, it perfected him, perfected him to lead a following of brothers and sisters that he would save, that the author of our salvation has been tested in every point. He's highly qualified. He's passed the test to be our redeemer. I must uh, be honest with you. Uh, When I read the Bible on suffering, I don't like it. I want to be uh, an outstanding saint without suffering. Is there any company here? I don't want to suffer. I want to know Christ. Now, to get to know Christ, there's a, would you suffer if you can know him? Because you could suffer a lot and not know him. Matter of fact, the greatest suffering in life is to suffer without knowing him. The greatest suffering for eternity is to suffer away from the presence of God and never know Christ. Would any price be worth it to know Christ? Now that kind of softens me up. I think I want Christ that bad. But I'm from a long line of cowards. It's my last name's Howard, but it's close to coward. I'm not trying to sign up for cancer. I'm not saying, test me, Lord. My dad tells the story. He used to always pray that way. Lord, test me. Test me, and I'll show you I love you. He used to tell me this as a kid. He said, but God taught me how to pray. I said, how do you teach you to pray? He said, well, when I was praying that prayer, I was a young believer. He said, your brother died. Okay. And I was still praying, Lord, test me. I'll show you I love you. I fell through a three-story three building, fighting a fire, lost an eye. Lord, I'll, just test me. I'll show you I love you. Uh, then my, my second boy died. Uh, then your mother had a nervous breakdown. And about that time, I started changing my prayer life. I said, well, what did you go to? He said, I started praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Well, we used to sing holiness, folks. We used to sing holiness. Lord, try me, and I'll show I love you. Oh, man, i put it by eight qualified. Lord, try me, maybe I may by grace a, a little bit. Don't do too much. I'm barely making it to church as it is. I don't want more. I want a cushion to heaven. I like to read about the martyrs. I just don't want to get too close. God could have made a pain-free existence for his son, but it wouldn't have qualified him to be your savior. God didn't take the painless route. He took the cross. And he's my model. For when I'm getting stuff I don't like, having pains I don't want, rejection I don't like, am I any better than my author and my coach in the Christian life? None of us have ever suffered like Jesus has suffered And he did it to get to make you his child. Well, look at what else he says. Oh, I love this. Verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Who makes you holy? You don't make yourself holy. Believe me. God makes you holy. And I think in the context, it's God the Son And he says, the one who makes you holy and the ones who are made holy are in the same family. Get it? Is it in the text? Not this way if you get it, if you don't like that. How many? Go. One, two, three. You see it. Okay, let's look at it. You don't see it. You're weak. Look at verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy. Who is that? And those who are made holy, who is that? Us. Are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. What he's saying is Jesus became one of us. That he might make us holy. And when he made us holy, he put us in the same family. The divine family. But he became like us that he might make us holy. And then he says, I will declare your name to my brothers. And he called them brothers two times after his resurrection. He never called them brothers, uh, you know, while he was doing his ministry. One time he said, whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother. But after his resurrection, he started calling them brothers. Matthew 28, John 20. Watch this. I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. You know what's remarkable about the first quote? It's from Psalms 22. When he's on the cross, he is thinking about the brothers he's purchasing. And he's thinking on the cross. He cries out, the bulls of Bashan are goring me. Lions are gapping upon me. My God has seemed to forsaken me. And yet on the cross, he says, but through this experience, I am going to go among my brethren that I purchased through the cross and I'm going to sing in the congregation. Look, I made you my brothers. Look, I bought your salvation. I brought you into a divine family. He already saw those I'm dying for who are God's enemies. I'm going to turn many of them into my brothers in a divine family. You may not believe this, but if you believe the Bible, you can call Jesus your elder brother in reverence. He's my elder brother, and the first person of the Godhead is my heavenly father. I'm in a divine family. What? To have Jesus for your brother. It's like your brother stepped up and paid the bill to get you into the movie. You know, you couldn't do it, so he either pays for it or finds the secret exit and lets you in free. Christ says to get this family, I must pay a debt. Have you been running with Jesus lately? Do you hang out with him? Do you do anything that honors him or dishonors him? Christianity is a family affair. Whatever you do in the family bears on the family name. If you don't pay your bills like you should, you're disgracing the family name. God's people try to pay their bills because they're honest. Are you doing a good day's work? God's people work as unto the Lord. There's not a superintendent in the world that can motivate you like Jesus being your Savior. Even He told slaves, work as unto God, your master. Don't worry about this earthly guy down here that may even be harsh and mean to you. You have a motivation greater than anything, not even bonuses, ought to be able to do and give an honest day's work like God being your Savior. Well, let's end with one more. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity (laughs) so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. (laughs) What a passage. What's he saying? Because those that he wanted to put in this family had humanity, flesh and blood, he said, I'll take their humanity, but when I take their humanity, I've got an assignment. I want to deal a death blow to Satan, the destroyer, and I'm going to visit him on his own grounds, death. And in that arena, I am going to destroy his power to ever inflict pain on my people in the arena of death. So what does Christ do? He dies. And the devil could say, look, the consequence of sin is death. I've won again. I deceived Adam and Eve. I said, go ahead and eat of the tree. You'll become gods. You won't die. I deceived them. They died. Now here comes the Son of God. He thinks he's going to get a kingdom. He thinks he's going to get a people. He's going to get snails and a spike, and he's going to get death. But three days later, John, when he saw him on the Isle of Patmos, he had a set of keys. And in his hands were the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He also said, according to 1 Corinthians 15, he was the first fruit of those that slept among the dead. He hit a knockout blow to the devil. He says, Not even death, under the penalty of God will keep me in the grave. You're destroyed. For the last enemy to be destroyed is death, and I've proven to my people forever. I'm the example. Death will not hold my people. For as I came out from the grave, we're having, uh, we're having Easter right here in November. That's okay, isn't it? <laughs> he said, right there. He said, I come out, and I'm telling you, Satan, you have been destroyed in the realm of death. You cannot hurt my people. And he says, And I'll free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I have to read you another passage. Those who've heard me a while know it's one of my favorites, John eight fifty-one. Turn there. If you'll obey me now, I'll let you out soon. We'll stop there. Let me read it to you like. Uh, I think we assume it. It goes this way. This is the assumption reading. I tell you the truth if anyone keeps my word, he will see death. Don't you think that? What does your Bible say? And how would you interpret never? Very good. Very good. Well, do Christians die? Isn't that seeing death? He didn't say they wouldn't die. He said, they won't see death. Now, did any of you ever grow up with the uh, the man riding the horse with the black hood and the scythe in his hand, and here comes the grim reaper, you know? And death, as a kid, I said, oh, how am I going to die? What will it be like? Uh, I was scared to death before, well, no, I was really alive, but I was nearly scared to death <laughs> before I became a Christian. Death horrified me because I knew I wasn't right with God, and I was horrified at the thought of, how would I die? What is this going to be all like? And, and the Bible, when Jesus came up from the grave, and he's telling them, all believers in Christ, those that he allows to physically die, that's one thing. That's just the body. But what you see when you take your last breath will not be death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is loss. Oh, oh, gain. So you mean I gain something in death that I don't have up to now? You better believe it. Faith will give way to sight. I'll see somebody. And he said in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's a little preposition, dia. D I A. Look it up sometime. All those who die, it says in Jesus, but it's dia, through the intermediate agency of Jesus. You mean when you get ready to die, Jesus shows up? That's right. All of his saints are put to sleep by the head of the church, not by angels. I'm not looking for angels. I'm looking for him who gave me this promise. And for when the believer dies, they go to be with the Lord. They see him. We never meet death. That personage out there won't show up. Because as my old daddy said, when Jesus went through the cemetery, he installed lights. It's all lit up for us. When you get closer to home, it gets brighter, not darker. They keep the light on at the house. I've told the story before, but I love the story that E.V. Hill told about Sister Bernadine when he went visit visited in the hospital in Houston. And uh, the saints told him to go see her, and he had passed her at one time, and so he goes there to pray for her, and... As he gets ready to pray, he said I have to catch a plane. And she said, No, no, I I don't want you praying for me. And he thought maybe the medication had put a little bit out of her head. He'd never seen her quite so rude. And uh, some of us do it without medication. But he saw her very uh, out of the norm, you know. And he said, uh, So he he stayed a little bit longer and talked. He still had that plane to catch. And finally, he made a second round. Uh, He's, he, he knows she's forgot, and so he comes back. He said, Sister Bernadine, I've got to catch a plane. I'm flying to L.A. And uh, he said, I just came by to pray for you. And she said, you think I'm out of my head, don't you? Did so you think this medication has messed up my thinking? He didn't say anything. She said, you know, the last time the saints came by and prayed, God heard their prayer, and I've been living another year. This time, I don't want you to interrupt. <laughs> I want to go home. And the next morning, she landed home. She died. I want to say, and I'm not trying to rush anything. I sure don't want to bury any loved ones. And, and, and don't rush me. Let the Lord take care of when he wants to take me. Death has been forever changed for believers. Your Savior will be there to guide you through the valley of the shadow. And if I wasn't a Christian for anything else but for dying and for burying my loved ones, I'd want to know Christ because he's got a monopoly on comfort at the cemetery. Nobody. I don't need poetry on the day I'm burying my loved ones. Helen Steiner Rice can't comfort me on funeral days. I need a word from someone on the other side who says, They kill me, but I conquer death. If you follow me, I'll take you right through the cemetery and you'll land right in glory. And you'll wonder why I didn't bring you home sooner. It's going to be so wonderful. What a day it will be. You might be here and if you don't know Christ, death has to be one of your greatest fears because there's no hope there. Don't let me preach that everything's well with you. Those who do not know Christ have no hope beyond this life. They have no hope in this life. They need a wonderful Savior. Why did he make the trip? Why did he make the trip? He made the trip to show you grace, to show you God's reliable, to love you, to bring back his enemies into a fellowship. Christ died for sinners, not for churchgoers. We go to church now because we put our faith in him, but we're all sinners saved by grace. We've we've all come from different backgrounds. But we finally found out God loved us, and his unmistakable proof was he sent Jesus to live in a ghetto, to die under the accusation that his mama wasn't his real mama or his daddy wasn't his real daddy. He said, I could take the shame, the rejection, the neighborhood, because it's worth the mission if I could only find someone that let me be their savior. If you'd like to become a Christian today and see the full benefits of his atonement made yours. You need to repent of your sins that you are a sinner and you don't know God. And simply add, one thing he ask for you, would you please trust me? I can save you. I want to come into your heart, but you must believe in my son. God can let no one into heaven who does not acknowledge his son. When you acknowledge him, you become his brother and you become God's child. He wants to be your Savior
1: today. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you, to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time together today, if this broadcast and this ministry encourages you in your walk with Christ and you happen to be looking for a church that does just that, we would invite you to contact valleybible.org. Pastor Phil is Pastor Emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. And while he is no longer in the pulpit, We are still very much a part of this church body, and we would invite you to come and join us for worship. For more information, again, valleybible.org or call 855-833-9864. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.